Hello, everybody, and welcome to podcast number eight for Hurry and Yell. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about what we got right, what we got wrong from podcast number seven. We have a few college football games. We have a few NFL games. And then we have some baseball talk, not necessarily talking about what's happening, but still it's baseball related. So we're actually going to spend more than a minute on it. Um, if it was just what was happening, it would be a minute. But since it's um, more of me ranting about the city of Seattle, which I might start doing every week because there's plenty to rant about. Um, we're going to spend a little bit more time on that. Before we get rolling, some introductions. Since we realize we don't do introductions on the show. My name is Patrick. That is the scourge of concerned motorists everywhere, Brian. Uh, today... I don't even know what he <laughs> means by that. Uh, we are drinking Thor's Equinox. From Odin Brewing in Tequila, Washington. I gotta say, I've never heard of this, and I work in Tequila, but this might be the coolest logo I have ever seen. It's got two, like, Kraken legs coming out, but they also look like dragons. So, I don't... I'm gonna guess it's a Kraken, um, because that's a little bit more into Nordic culture than dragons. I know, but look, also like... also have the hammer of Thor crisscrossed on the logo of the beer. So let's, and we've never had this before. This is going to be my first taste. So cheers. Smooth, malty, not bitter. That is a damn good beer. That is a one that I will be enjoying for not only the next hour, but probably we'll have a few more of those uh, sometime down the road. Buyer beware, 9.0 alcohol. The end of this podcast might get very interesting because uh, this is a 22 at 9%, which is about the equivalent of four regular beers. So if you define regular beers as Bud Light, <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. Four Bud Lights at 3.9. All right. Well, cheers to that. Um, so what we got right last week, I'm going to start. I pretty much nailed the USC-Utah game. I said Utah was going to keep it close. They were going to be ahead, and then they were going to wear out in the, in the third and fourth quarter, and that is exactly what happened. USC kind of bled them a little bit at the end, and then they just had the superior depth, and they had the horses at the end. I think uh, U, Utah was gassed, which is why Whittingham went for two in the first place. Yeah, I agree with that. I do not. I think that uh, Utah's lead was less on their skill and more on USC. Just throwing up. I think they had three lost fumbles in the first half and an interception. So um, I think it was a great call to go for two. He had a guy open in the back of the end zone, gun shy quarterback, thinking he can run. This isn't Utah State you're playing against. This isn't Oregon State. It's USC. You're not going to get seven yards on a QB scramble against that team. Good game, though. It Hell was a game. It was a good game. I was watching it. It was one of the few games I was watching this weekend. Um, I decided after the travesty that was the football game on Friday night, I was going to take Saturday off from college football. But I ended up watching a, a bit of the USC-Utah game. The last Washington State game I turned off early was in 2014. 
USC and Wazoo. The one, Cougs were like one where know, Connor Halliday broke his leg. Two and eight, two and seven at that point. Connor Holiday breaks his leg. US, it's in the brain. USC is just destroying them. And you could tell USC didn't yeah. want to be there. But last, they were... last season, I think they had a punt return for those of you everybody returned face against Wazoo. Uh, Friday night was disgusting. So I watched probably 10 hours of football on Saturday to get the taste out of my mouth. See, this is the difference between <laughs> me and him. We both watched the game on Friday. Uh, we both watched how bad it was. I can't watch any football on Saturday because it just would make me sick. He can only watch football on Saturday to get his taste, the bad taste out of him. It was one of the first Saturdays I could watch football all day. And so I did. It was an opportunity. And you know what? Washington State wasn't the only team from the state that had some issues. The Washington Huskies. Um, they haven't won one in Tempe since 2001. It was largely assumed that that would end this year. Uh, they had a couple of key injuries. Most of all, they got flat out out coached by Arizona State. They came, I think they came in a little flat on offense. Their defense was great as always. Um, they were sloppy. They, their kicking game's awful. Uh, I feel like we talk about this every every week with a different team, why you can't recruit good kickers with scholarships in major college football. But it happened again, and uh, that was a that was a disturbing game to watch because it was it was more shocking to me than Cal beating Wazoo by thirty five points. Yeah, because the way Cal beat WSU, I mean, th- there were seven turnovers. Three were on. It was it was fluky bullshit. Three were on yeah. tipped interceptions. There was a couple, you know, it's fumbles. Those, it's not your night. Yeah, I mean, Falk still held on to the ball too long. I uh, probably shouldn't have even been in for the last couple of turnovers. I would have benched him at halftime. But you, it, that's one of those where Cal could do no wrong. I mean, their quarterback pull, pulled an Ortiz Jenkins and flipped into the end zone for his first rushing touchdown of his career. I mean, it was a perfect storm for the Cougs, and they just they just couldn't couldn't handle it. So that's what I got right was USC. Uh, what I got wrong, Auburn, LSU. Uh, I thought Auburn was going to win a slobber knocker of a game. And it was 20 to nothing early in the second quarter. Yep, and I was feeling pretty good about that. Um, LSU came back. They ran those shifts. They their, their offensive coordinator obviously is one of the three people that listens to our podcast. They ran the shifts. They didn't just run it straight out of the eye. They moved the ball and – I they, think uh, that they uh, they settled in a little bit on um, defense. They they got some big plays. They got a lot of speed on the outside, and they got the ball in the hands of their receivers, who can make plays. They got athletes on that team. Um, they won the game, but it's still jarring to me how limited they are with the horses they got up front. Those aren't horses anymore. They're ponies. Like. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been waiting to crack I out just, that one? I just came up with it. That was gold. Um, well done. It was galling how weak they are up front now. And that shouldn't happen. I don't know how it happened. Um, Alabama's still going to kick their ass. Well, now let's see what, uh, what you got right and wrong from last week. What did I get right and wrong? The main one you got right was the Ohio State kicking the shit out of Nebraska. That's like... I don't know. Is that something to be proud of? That yes. was an easy pick. I mean, Nebraska had a had a little frisky feeling to them. 
you know, it was at home in the at at night. You know that they crowd. They were at home at night against Wisconsin the week before. That they were frisky in that game. They, I'm trying to find a non-crude way to say this. They shot all their bullets on uh, last week, and they had nothing left for Ohio State, who is rounding into form because they're throwing the football downfield. They're getting that offense down. They're really picking it up. I think that they're gonna. They might surprise some people at the end of the year. I'd be surprised if they keep this up. If they lose again, I think I remember you saying something about their offensive coordinator way back in the very first podcast about I, how he's pretty good. He is pretty good. But I've been really. I was really disappointed the first month of the season and how they were playing. But they've really, really been playing classic Ohio State football the last few weeks. And then the one you got wrong. Um, I mean, and actually this was really close was the Red River shootout, um, Oklahoma, Texas. It actually went pretty well how you thought it was going to do, how you thought it was going to go, just with the score flipped. The thing about Texas now is they're not winning a lot of games, but it is obvious they're playing their ass off. They're starting to get an identity too. They are scrappy. They play really, really, really hard. They're still limited in some spots, uh, especially on the on the offensive line. And quarterback. I mean, it is a true freshman. I know. I, I, I'm. He's going to be fine. Um, Oklahoma, you got to be asking some questions about yourself. I see two more losses for that. I see two weeks in a row. You start out fast, and then you taper off. If it weren't for blown coverage at the end of the game, you lose that game, and you lose that game having not scored in the second half. Uh, so some concerns there for Oklahoma. They're still a good team, but they're, uh, this is the struggle of being a head coach for Lincoln Riley. They've hit a little bit of a lull, I think, and he's got to get them through it. Uh, I, I think they're going to lose Bedlam and I think they're going to lose to TCU. They're uh, not going to lose Bedlam. That team sucks. I, I don't think Oklahoma is, to be totally honest, I don't think Oklahoma is a top 10 team right now. I Oklahoma think- State is, are they coached? Do they practice? They've got they've got the wonder mullet kid, the wonder hair kid, Mister Mister Mike Gundy, Mister. They've got great receivers, and that's it. They've got a good quarterback. Oklahoma's going to be able to touch Well, when Bedlam comes up in November, we will revisit this. We might actually make a gentleman's bet, which we make a lot of gentlemen's bets, but we haven't made a gentleman's bet on the podcast yet. That's because we always forget about the gentleman's bets because we never write them down, and we're usually drunk when we make them. The Which, key about a gentleman's bet is there is nothing wagered other than pride, and it's always sealed with a firm handshake. And yes, this is true. And I will venture a guess that your gentleman bets are paying off more than mine. I think I think I think you usually win. We'll sit, I don't know. Maybe we can keep track from now on. Yeah. Well, we'll start. Maybe we'll start with one uh, with one with what we got coming up here in college football this week, starting with the big game of the of the day on Saturday, Michigan-Penn State. This is the start of a very tough three-game stretch for Penn State where they go Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State. Um, no one thought Michigan State was going to be even close to uh, a team that would actually be ranked and scare Penn State, but yet here they are. And uh, I think this is going to be – this is Penn State's first real test. And I think this is going to be a low-scoring game between, I'd say, two of the top ten defenses in the country. 
you bring up an interesting point that always gets missed with Penn State because everyone drools about their offense and their running back. The running back, Barkley, is a great player, but that defense is why they win games. Shit, didn't they, haven't they shut out like three opponents already this year or something like that? I don't know. I haven't. It's, yeah, I know. I haven't noticed. But um, a couple things on this game. I'm not sure. Okay, so this is the big game, but Michigan's not their starting quarterback. Their offense is struggling even with him in. I don't like the backup quarterback. I think his body language is shit. I think he's easily rattled. Uh, he's just got a. I, there's he's a more talented guy than the starter, but he doesn't have the brain for it. And this is going to be a very tough game for a guy who's mentally weak to win in. This is going to be interesting because that kid started the game last year, uh, where it was in a snowstorm, and then he started a game two weeks ago against Michigan State, which was basically in a monsoon. You know, if the weather is somewhat good, he's one to know. I mean, it's an oh, overtime. It's a oh, double right. overtime win against Indiana. He, I know. It, it was, they just ran the ball. Uh, one last thing on this game. Uh, you beat Penn State by stopping that running game. They do it two ways. They got an inverted veer and they got a midline option. The key is attacking the mesh point without committing multiple guys to it. So, uh, Northwestern just sold out trying to stop it. Just sold out. And so they're leaving guys wide open. Michigan's got a lot more talent than Northwestern. I wouldn't be surprised if they really aggressively fly upfield on the, uh, the that option game. Bring those linebackers up. And commit a safety to any, you know, because most inverted veer, Barkley's going outside first. And I think they're going to be really aggressive in how they attack it. And they did a great job with it last year. Didn't um, they beat them by they like beat four the, touchdowns? They beat the hell out of them last year. But that Michigan was a much better team last year. And Penn State wasn't as good. Um, I think Penn State's going to win this game. I'd love it if Michigan won. I think that if this game were played in a month, Michigan would probably win. But uh, Happy Valley at night. That's a bucket list. For that's a crazy sure. environment. Penn State's going to, I think they're going to win this game. I think Penn State's going to win it too. I I think the game's going to be closer than what most people are prognosticating it to be. I don't know what the line is. I'd be surprised if the line was less than seven. And I would be surprised if the game is decided by more than four, to be honest. I think. I think it's going to be a double digit game, honestly. Do you? I think that this is just a feeling that this is going to be a close game slow-scoring defensive struggle between these two teams. Michigan... I hope so. Michigan, for all of their faults on offense, and even though they lost 8 million starters on defense, that defense is still loaded, and they still defense, play. The defense is great. And they, they're going to yes. run the ball. They're going to try and control it. They're going to try and keep Penn State's offense off the field. I think... Don't think they're going to be able to do it enough, but I think it's going to be closer than the nine and a half point spread. I, I think they're gonna, it's these are young guys, and so it takes a while to adjust during games. And I think that they're going to be behind fourteen nothing before they know it. They're going to have to throw the ball, and that's where they're going to get. They're going to lose by double digits. So, well, maybe the I hope you're right. That's close game. Maybe that's, that's the fact awesome. that they have to uh, throw the ball 
is just going to make that quarterback just actually do something that, you know, maybe even Harbaugh didn't know. Maybe it's a, a, a Iowa State, Oklahoma situation where, <laughs> we'll see. where, you know, he, you had to throw the ball with him because you didn't have any other options and it ended up working out. I'm not saying it's going to. I'm just saying it, it could happen. I admire your optimism, but I don't agree with you. Uh, the other big game of the day um, involves a long storied rivalry. The University of Southern California Trojans against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I still think, I know Notre Dame has one loss and it's by one point to the number four team in the country. No, sorry. The number three team in the country. I don't want to undersell your underrated pick, by the way. Nice call. Um, one point to Georgia. But who have they played? Honestly, I, I, I this is a, a tough, the start of a tough stretch for Notre Dame as well, where they were going to play USC. They still have to play Miami. They still have to play NC State. They still have to play Stanford. Those are you win those four games. I will say you're for real. But right now, they still have to play Navy, who we will talk about a little bit later. That's a tough stretch for them. And you know, if they run the they run the gauntlet there, then fine. Talk about them as a top ten team. I just don't see it right now. Yeah, I mean, I I had your same I have your same concerns about them. Uh, I went back and I tried to watch one of their games today because I hadn't seen them, and I know they played Michigan State, but we were taking tequila shots at a wedding during that game, so we didn't see that one. Michigan State's a decent team. They lost a close one to Georgia, but Georgia's still getting their feet under them. First and start for that quarterback. They just run over some kind of not even Power 5 teams. Miami of Ohio was a game I watched. That said, um, USC has played, what, one road game? And that was in Pullman? They've played Michigan State. They've played beat Boston College, Michigan State, Miami of Ohio, North, North Carolina. Yeah. So not exactly murderer's row. USC has played two road games. One was so they played the same amount of road games as the Kooks. So I don't want to hear that whole you know stretch of now who do they play on the road? Cal. Okay, so and that not was their best games. Neither no. one of them. Um, USC has been real sloppy this year. Notre Dame is not sloppy. They've also got some boys up front on the offensive line that I find that I really find impressive, including a guy he's wearing the old school helmet with his, the middle bar that goes down. Nice. Um, they got some big guys. Brian Kelly doesn't call plays anymore, so they commit more to the run. Their quarterback is unstable, really not very good. I think that Notre Dame can win this game. I feel like Notre Dame should win this game. Notre Dame is a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and if anyone wants to make a bet where they're going to make any money, I'm going to say bet the under on this game because the over-under is 65-and-a-half. Oh, yeah, definitely the under. Yeah. Um, it's, it's With USC, it's like who who's going to show up? What defense is going to show up? You don't know. Uh, Notre Dame scheme really, really tests your linebackers a lot. So – I mean, I feel like I, I, if I had to pick one, I'd pick Notre Dame. They're at home. They're going to let that grass grow. It's field turf, I think, now. But well, that's the thing is, you know, 
11 years ago when they let the grass grow against for Reggie Bush, uh, USC had way, way, way more athletes. I think they do this year, too. It's not it's as not, big yeah, of a disparity, yeah. I think. And so I think uh, Notre Dame would be better off not having the grass be to where you can't see what color shoes uh, anyone is wearing. I think if Notre Dame can play defense and commit to the running game, they win. But if the ball is in Sam Darnold's hand to, with the drive to win the game in the last like four minutes or less, USC is going to win. I, I think USC is going to win anyways. Um, this is about the time a year last year when they started their run, when they started gelling, they started coming together. Uh, I think that Utah win was is going to be a big moment for them, and they can use it as a rallying point. I thought they played like shit, though. They did. You know what? They did, but they, they they played really well the last 20 minutes of that game. So if you're the coach, take the 20 minutes of that game, just focus on what you did right, and use it going forward, right? At least, you know, that's what I would do as, as a coach. You focus on the positive. You say, this is what you did right. This is why we won. This is what we're going to focus on. Last year, I think they had something similar where they used it as a springboard for uh, an 11, 11 wins in a row to end the year, right? So I think USC is going to use that game as a springboard, and it wouldn't surprise me. And again, looking at their remaining schedule, after Notre Dame, their toughest game the rest of the way, I mean, they have four games left after Notre Dame. It's Arizona State, Arizona, Colorado, UCLA. They can win every one of those, and they can lose every one. Of those. I, and here's the thing: you have a if Notre Dame if they beat Notre Dame to get to seven and one, and then those last four games they'll be probably two touchdown favorites in all of them. So if they go if they win all those, they're eleven and one. They're representing the Pac-12 South. Does a one-loss USC team are they, are they in the? And if they beat either UW or a rematch with Stanford. Or well, I, I'll tell you who they wouldn't want to play. They wouldn't want to play Stanford because they've already beat them. So beating them again wouldn't impress the voters. They'd probably want to play Washington State again to avenge the loss. If they do that, are they in the top four? Are they in the college football playoff? I think there's going to be no undefeated teams by the end of the year. So probably. You think even the Alabama's going to lose, huh? No, we'll get to that. All when, right. When we, I mean, is that our next game to cover? Yeah, let's let's talk about that. So you have Notre Dame winning close. I have USC winning close. So let's talk about your uh, your love for Butch Jones and Tennessee against the the juggernaut that is the University of Alabama. Um. Well, we all know Tennessee's going to get their ass kicked this week. I'd be surprised if they scored a touchdown. They haven't scored a touchdown in two weeks. They haven't scored more than twenty points against a Power Five team since week one. Um. They're they're horrible, but let's talk about Alabama. <laughs> I gave them a very close look this week because I hadn't seen them play yet, and they're exactly the same as last year, which means you can't run on them. They're immovable. That defensive line is incredible. The front seven is great. Their technique is amazing, and they hit the living shit out of you. You can throw the ball a little bit on the outsides with them. You can isolate some mismatches. Seem like they play a lot of cover four, which means you can get out into the flats a little bit. Their offense, just like last year, struggles to throw the ball. They lost the national title game because Clemson made them 
throw the football, and they could not do it. They still struggle to throw the ball. Uh, they, they run the ball really well, but if it's down to that quarterback to make a throw to win the game, if he's got to throw it, you, they're going to lose. Uh, they don't have a go-to receiver, really. I mean, they're, they're, they're all great athletes. They're all great players. But I think they're vulnerable. They're, they're really, really I mean, I think they're probably the best team in the country, but they can lose. Not this week. Hypothetical Butch for you. Butch Jones gets fired if they don't score in this game, by the way. Hypothetical for you. Let's say Alabama and Georgia both show up undefeated in the SEC championship game, and they play a close game. Doesn't matter who wins, but it's a close, it's a three-point game or a game that goes into overtime. Could this be the first year that two teams from one conference make the college football playoff? It depends what else goes on. Um, With the I Big would, 12 kind of devouring itself and the Pac-12 devouring itself and the ACC devouring itself. I mean, they have one undefeated left in Miami, and no one thinks Miami's going to go undefeated. Uh, so here's who's going to be at the end. The following. Ohio State, Clemson, one Pac-12 school, Alabama, Georgia. That's it. No one from the Big 12. No I don't think so. So I could see Georgia squeezing in there. I mean, it's the best teams, right? It's supposed to be. I don't care if it's who comes. It could be four teams from the same conference if they're the best teams. It's supposed to be. I mean, you look at who's on that committee, and you got some questions about their ability to evaluate football, Tyrone. Um, (laughs) But thought you were going to say Condoleezza Rice. I guarantee you she can evaluate football better than Tyrone Willingham. Lionel. Lionel. Uh, yeah, absolutely. All right. They're, they're, I think they're a year away, though. They're going to stumble. I think you're right. I think, I think the game that they're going to stumble on is, is uh, Auburn. I think, I think even though – Have they played Vanderbilt yet? Yeah. Okay. Well, they got that one out of the way. They're, they're not going to lose to an SEC. Do they Eastern. play South Carolina? Because I, I, that defense. They do play them. I don't know if they've played them yet. But they do play them. I, South Carolina is five and one right now. I think. Are they? Who they lose to? Oh god, probably somebody that sucks. Um, I mean, they can't score. They can't. They, they can't score touchdowns. I think Georgia has a bye this week. But yeah, I, I think they're five and two. Okay. They lost to Kentucky and Texas A and M. So when do they play Georgia? Two weeks. They got to get by Vanderbilt. That'll be fifteen to twelve. All field goals. Yeah, and then they play Florida, and then they've got Wolford for the thirtieth year in a row. By the way, in a we're recording this podcast on a Thursday, like we always do, and there is a little bit of an upset brewing uh, with Houston over Memphis because Memphis is ranked apparently, even though I think their best they're five and one. And their best win is against UCLA, but still they're ranked. That's a terrible win to have, isn't it? I mean, their other games are Louisiana Monroe, Southern Illinois. They lost to Central Florida 40-13. to They beat UConn 70-31. to Memphis is ranked. Memphis is ranked. It's because they beat Navy last week, 30-27, to and Navy was undefeated. But yes, Memphis is ranked 
for for now. The best win is a service academy. Service academy or UCLA. Okay. That goes to show you the kind of there's just not a lot of good teams in college football this year. It's a lot of mediocrity. I mean, I, I, there's still plenty of good teams. There's plenty of good teams. They're just there's not a great team. I want to get your take on Wisconsin. Are we going to touch on Florida State and Louisville? We can. I, let me get some quick factoids on Florida State. Don't have to talk about the game. Florida State scored 17 points last week against Duke. In the history, I looked this up. They have played Duke 18 times. They have beat Duke 18 times. 15 of the 18 times they've scored over 41 points. The lowest previous was 25 points. They scored 17 points on Duke. I've been railing on their offense all season, and I will continue to rail on them. That said, if they can't break 20 against those hacks that Louisville is throwing out on defense, who just gave up 45 to Boston College, you got a real problem. So Florida State, get your act together. Now we can move on. I love it. Absolutely love it. I want to talk to you for a second about Wisconsin. They seem to be a team every year that no one is talking about. And yet, here they are. They're 6-0, and number five in the country. I know they've hardly played. They haven't played anyone. I mean, their three Big Ten wins are Northwestern, Nebraska, and Purdue. But still, number five in the country, Wisconsin. They don't play Michigan State. They don't play Penn State. They don't play Ohio State. Their toughest remaining game is Michigan at home. And then the Big Ten championship game at the very because the rest of their schedule is Maryland, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota. Not exactly a murderer's row. What do you think about Wisconsin going if they if they do knock off Michigan going 12 and 0 into the Big Ten championship game based on that schedule? Because their non-conference schedule, Utah State, Florida Atlantic and a horrible BYU team. This happens a lot, it seems, with the Big Ten ever since they expanded. Um, they have not improved the quality competition at the conference. They have diluted it. Breaking up the division allows bullshit like Wisconsin and Iowa that one year going undefeated. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Wisconsin is Wisconsin. They've had one, one great team in the last 15 years, and that was when they had Russell Wilson. That was a great team. It was. They beat Oregon. In the, oh, no. They lost, they lost to Oregon. To Oregon but that was a Oswald. really, really good team. Yeah, it was. They're going to win double digits. And when it comes right down to it, if whenever they play a great team, I don't know when it's going to be. It's either They're going to get their teeth kicked. It's in. either going to be Ohio State or Penn State in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, Paul Christ is a really good coach. I've li- I liked him at Pittsburgh. He did a really good job there. Uh, but... It's Wisconsin. We know what they are. They are who we thought they are, were, and always will be. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you on Wisconsin. It just I, I mean, they're I, a good team. I wanted to get your your opinion because I could very well see them, you know, undefeated. And if other teams are, you know, gonna go through the the attrition, this is like they're like Virginia Tech in the early 2000s, or when Missouri was number six one, and seven zero every year. And they're they're going to beat up on cupcakes. And everyone's going to be like, oh, man, they might have a team this year. They're going to lose once, and they're going to lose two out of their next three whenever they lose. 
So that would basically, do you remember when uh, Missouri was number one in the country a few years ago? Yeah. Like six, seven years ago. I, I could see Wisconsin actually getting up to number one if Alabama falls because you've got the, the teams that are ahead of them. Georgia, like you said, still has to play Auburn. Penn State still has to go through that tough schedule. TCU is probably, as much as I hate to say it, probably going to lose here relatively soon. If Alabama loses a game here relatively soon as well, where they play Auburn, um, they play LSU, I could easily see Wisconsin being number one. Um, yeah, but that's not going to happen. And if the, But if it does... <laughs> They'll they'll be a number one team that will be an underdog in the Big Ten championship game, probably right, to whoever is coming out of the other side. Yeah, wasn't Kansas undefeated the year they made the Big Twelve title game against Missouri and they were underdogs by like a touchdown? One of those. I think Missouri was an underdog at number one in the country when they were playing Oklahoma the last week of the season. Yeah, and they got their teeth kicked in. Yeah, because they weren't any good. Yep. So I honestly, that's the the comparison to me right now. Now Wisconsin is probably a better team than Missouri was that year. Yeah, but that's the closest thing in my mind. Is Missouri did have Will Witherspoon in the linebacker. Will Witherspoon was a stud. <laughs> that was a good pull, sir. Good pull. He was the only notable guy in the defense because he made every single tackle. Baseball. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about baseball. Okay. Here's my rant about baseball. And the city of Seattle. Now, I know that because the Mariners have sucked since before I was alive, basically since they came about. And this is their 41st year, by the way. They were talking about how this is their 40th year because they started in 77. But this is their 41st year playing baseball. So that whole thing just That's makes interesting me... interesting because the Seahawks in their 24th year had 25th. Because there's a the 25th, 25th season. season. Yes, yet the Mariners had 40th because they had 40th anniversary, not 40th season. What's there to celebrate? Anyway? But go ahead. There's four playoff bursts in 40 years is what they have to celebrate. But anyway, so I know this city isn't exactly huge into baseball, but I am. And one thing that is that is huge about this city is traffic. Now, when I'm sitting in traffic, what I want to do is enjoy a baseball game when it's the lead championship series, when the Yankees and Astros are playing and Dan Shulman is on the call, who is the best baseball announcer, by the way, and it's not even close. Or no argument there. when John Shambi is doing the NL, doing the Cubs-Dodgers. Those are, have been compelling games. Do you know what's been on the radio here in Seattle? The normal, everyday, loud, blowhard People yelling at their ass on 950, and then on 710, the confused Jim Moore, who I absolutely love, and the cynical Danny O'Neill, who I don't. Now, after those shows are done at 6 o'clock, then they play the game. Only after the afternoon shows are done. I want to listen to the game when I'm stuck in traffic. Why don't they play the games when people are in the cars, as opposed to hearing about the Seahawks for the 17th day in a row where they're saying the exact same thing. It bothers me that I can't listen to the baseball playoffs 
in my car. When all I want to do is hear Dan Shulman call an Aaron Judge home run that almost left the goddamn stadium. But apparently that's asking too much. Okay. Um, couple things about your rant. If 710 ESPN, which they don't have the rights to the LCS because it's on Fox. Um, if, I mean, they have, may have the radio, but I don't know. If they're getting better ratings playing baseball over that show, which sounds like a couple of old men sitting here in a bingo hall waiting for the game to start and talking about sports. Pretty much, yes. Um, they'd play it. Tonight, is there a baseball game tonight? Yeah, uh, there was. Guess what's on 950? Something somebody's going to listen to. Hey. An NFL game. What's on 950 on Monday nights? An NFL game. I'm not saying that at so all. I, the, could... More people care about football than baseball. That is in this town. 100%. That's the way it is. The ratings are better when people are either broadcasting a football game or they're talking about football. I respect you as a baseball fan. You want to listen to the game, but it's a business. That's understandable. But you know what? 710 has a sister AM station too. 770. You think they're going to take up programming space? For a baseball game, six hundred people are going to listen to. What the, if the rain, if more people wanted to listen to it, they put it on. There's got to be a station in Seattle where they would get more listeners if they played a game. So if they you, played a baseball you, game, you want, I don't care who plays the game. But you know how expensive it is to buy the rights to broadcast the game. So what can I do as a fan, short of buying XM satellite radio? What can I is that is that the only way that I'm going to be able to get baseball games for sure in the playoffs? On the radio? Yes. Maybe. By the way, I, I tell you this. I tell you this. Mariners make the playoffs next year, and they lose in the first round. I guarantee you, the ALCS is on the radio. That bothers me too, because that means the only that means the only reason why people were listening to baseball is because. The local team was good. If you're you, gonna, know, you know what's never not on the, hard to find on the radio here? The NBA playoffs. You know why? Because people, there's no NBA team. That's it's true. Basically, like there's no baseball team here. That's true. Because they're terrible. You can listen. You get the NBA finals on the radio, and I know you'll be able to find the World Series on the radio. That Yes, you're right. But it's the playoffs. They don't broadcast the NBA playoffs unless 950 does on Westwood One. Because they don't have anything else to do. So it's not just baseball. It's the sports people don't give a shit about. Uh, just a, as a baseball person, it bothers me that I can't listen to the game. So I, I get what you're saying. You I, can listen to the game. You just have to get the satellite radio. By the way, as of... A baseball radio. Unless it's, unless it's Dan Shulman. I could listen to Dan Shulman talk about paint drying and grass growing. And he He's would make great. it entertaining. While this podcast has been been being recorded, the Dodgers beat the Cubs eleven to one to advance to their first World Series since nineteen eighty eight. So it's going to be the Dodgers against probably the Yankees in the World Series. So New York and L A. Just the way baseball wants it. Like they're doing backflips. They love the fact that the four biggest markets were the ones that had teams for the LCS. They love the fact, yeah. Who would the Yankees play? Houston. Houston's population-wise. Population-wise, Houston is the fourth biggest city population-wise in the country. Yes. Of baseball teams. Of all of all cities. 
it goes New York, LA, Chicago, Houston. Yeah, I will, I will, I will look it up and prove it to you. I'm gonna let you rant for a second here. Okay, what am I ranting? While I pull that up. Okay, we're gonna move on to the NFL. Uh, the Falcons are playing the Patriots. Wow, look at that. Yep. Number one, New York, 8.5 million. Number two, LA, 3.9. Number three, Chicago, 2.7. And number four, Houston, 2.2. Those are the only four cities over 2 million people population-wise. And those were the four teams in the LCS. And, right. and one and two are making the World Series. So, yes, baseball, absolutely loving it. Back to the NFL. It's rightful place. The king of sports in this country. And will be for the foreseeable future. One day we'll talk about <coughs> concussions and CTE. Um, so I've been telling every single podcast early in the year that the rule of Steve Bono applies to the Falcons. Needless to say, they have revealed themselves as not a great team the last couple weeks, going lose their last two games, um, scoring less than 20 points in two straight games and blowing, I think, a 17 to nothing lead. To the Miami Dolphins, who hadn't scored a touchdown in three games. So, curious to see exactly why this was. I watched the film. So, the Falcons, just like they were in a Dirk Cutter and Mike Smith coaching, they empty the drawer early. They throw the ball too much. They're too aggressive. They don't establish the running game. Last year, the Falcons were famous for a 50-50 split, run to pass. They establish the run. The entire offense goes up play action. They have so many play action plays in that playbook. But do you know how they're not effective if you don't run the ball? Seven of their first nine plays in their first drive were passes. Five of the seven plays in their second drive were passes. They called four runs. I think the average yards per carry on those four runs were about 16 yards. They were getting chunks of yards. Did they keep going to it? No, not really. They spent one drive running the ball. Guess what? They scored a touchdown, I think, or a field goal. But they got points on And then they get, they got away from it. They just – this is classic NFL bullshit, I keep saying. These cute little play callers, they throw – they just parade around. They're like a peacock. Look at all my colorful feathers. But instead of feathers, it's formations and plays. It is maddening. You win – the game by running the football. You have a base set of plays. You run that base set of plays, your core plays, what makes you good on offense. It's not fancy formations. It's not faking a dive, faking a reverse, and throwing a deep post in the first quarter for a touchdown. You call that in the fourth quarter. You don't call that in the first quarter because there's nothing that goes off that. There's nothing you can build off that. What, you're going to run a dive now? Are they going to believe that you can run that play again? In the fourth quarter, you want to get chunks of yards. That is when you call your chunk plays. The Chiefs do this. Andy Reid is notorious the, for doing that. The Falcons under Dirk Cutter did this. Dirk Cutter does this in Tampa Bay. The Seahawks do this. The Seahawks didn't used to do this when they are committed to the running game. And now they, they're they not a great center on this. But Sean McVay with the Rams, he's got a problem with this too. 
luckily he does have a core set of plays that he can go back to late in the game and get him chunks of yards. But the first drive is just this, this exhibition of bullshit. You've shown the defense everything. Now they, they look and they go, okay, I've seen 15 plays. He's run through his script. I've seen every formation and motion he's going to throw at me all game. There's only a certain set of plays he's going to run out of that, usually three to four. And now I know what I can deal with. And you just nut down, you play simple defense. So Falcons, it just drives me nuts. Drives me nuts. Speaking of the Falcons, they are the big game of the NFL week tonight, uh, this week against the New England Patriots. Oh, yeah, they don't set the edge well either. In a Super Bowl rematch. Um, why don't you tell me what you think is going to happen in that game? It's actually going to be a pretty good game. Because Patriots can't play defense. Um, they're not built, actually, this year to attack the Falcons where they're weak on defense as much. Uh, I think it would actually be a reasonably close game. (laughs) I love love the fact that you just spent a good close to five minutes ranting about the Falcons. And then I'm like, so... Because you can score 40 points a game with that offense if you pull your head out of your ass. That's true. They're loaded. There's a lot of toys there. A lot of toys. And as a person who has Julio Jones on his fantasy team, for the love of Christ, can he show up, please? You know, maybe he could. But Sark is in a Larry Coker situation where his job is to not screw anything up. I completely forgot Sark He's was the OC there. the same playbook. It's not his offense. Okay. The Patriots are going to win this game. Yeah, I think the Patriots are going to win this game too. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Neither defense impresses me at all. Uh, the Patriots' defense is beyond – garbage um and both offenses are good if they get out of their own way i can see this being a 42 38 game 45 41 game if i may interject one last time on this freaking rant of mine this is one of your better ones by the way put Um, you on the spot nfl nerds little little nerds they just you know on twitter and social media and their blogs they love all this crap it's garbage scripting plays you look at who did it. Mike Holmgren, legendary scripting plays. Bill Walsh, Walsh, legendary. The purpose of that is to run your base formations early in the game. To see what the defense is going to do. Develop the rhythm, see what they're going to do. It's not to throw your most elaborate formations and all of that crap in the first quarter of the game so you can go on the sideline and look at it and go, this is how we're going to defend it. You wait till the fourth quarter. The Seahawks used to always lose games to well-coached teams. Growing up, because they would sit on plays. Al Saunders, when he was the and Cam Cameron, who's a tool, but offensive coordinators that would just sit on stuff all game. They'd hammer you with a play, hammer you with a play, hammer you with a play, and then right when you're like, "Fuck this, I am stopping this play," then they hit you with the layered stuff, and you don't see it in the NFL anymore. That was impressive. I think you're sweating a little bit. That was impressive. Uh, speaking of Mike Holmgren and, and calling plays, let's get to uh, the game involving the team that he called plays for first. Uh, one of the best rivalries of the 90s in all of sports, not just football, but in all of sports, in my opinion, was the Cowboys against the Niners. 
those two, and you throw the Packers in there because you knew three of those, you knew those three teams, two of them were going to be in the NFC Championship game in the 90s. And one of, and two of those teams had to play each other in the, the second round of the playoffs. That's why getting that first seed in the NFC was so important in the 90s. Um, obviously, both teams have fallen off a lot, but this is still a good rivalry. Um, I think you wanted to talk about this game a little bit more than me, so I'm going to let you talk about the Cowboys-Niners right now. Okay, the 49ers are the best winless team I've ever seen. They have lost five consecutive games by three points or less. I don't know if that is a record, but I imagine it is. I looked up uh, the classic Dennis Erickson teams under the Seahawks who lost every close game they were in to see if they had pulled off a feat. Their record was three. So five is amazing. They're going to win this game, San Francisco is. That, that, they're due. Um, Dallas, they're shaky and everything. But, uh, I mean, four Niners going to win this game. You can't keep losing close games. Eventually you have to figure out that, you, you know, what plays are preventing you from winning a football game. Um, regarding the rivalry, it was awesome. It caused the first famous free agent spending spree by the 49ers. The Cowboys had just kicked their teeth in for the second year in a row in a championship game. And so the 49ers decided, well, we're going to draw up some almost illegal contracts to sign every available free agent that we can possibly find, the including key, the, the, Deion Sanders, the best cornerback who's ever played the game. He did so without ever tackling anyone. And Ken Norton Jr., who at the time was the best linebacker in the game. This is like, you know, the Cowboys signing Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Luke Keekley, and Von Miller. That's what that 49ers roster was like. Needless to say, they won the Super Bowl. And that NFC was so good then, the next year they were knocked out in the divisional class by the Packers. Well, and Dion then, after his one year in San Francisco, he went to Dallas. goes to Dallas. Uh, that rivalry was awesome. The 49ers always won the regular season, and then a couple of years in a row, the Cowboys won in the playoffs. The Cowboys had probably the greatest offensive line ever in the NFL. So that's your upset pick, is uh, San Francisco over Dallas. Um, I actually didn't say my upset pick, which was college. Uh, it was UCF Navy. Central Florida is undefeated, and they are a seven-point favorite against the Naval Academy. Uh, I think that there is going to be some distractions uh, with the Central Florida coach, with Scott Frost, uh, because he already has a foot out the door, in my opinion, because he is going to be the next head coach in Nebraska. Anyone who thinks Bill Moose is going to get Mike Leach doesn't know Bill Moose. Bill Moose gets the guy, right guy for the area that he's coaching. Mike Leach is a perfect fit in Pullman. Mike Leach is a horrible fit in Lincoln. Bill Moose knows that. Bill Moose can read, and he will go talk to the fans in Nebraska, and he will realize they don't want Mike Leach there. They want a guy who isn't absolutely insane. Now, Leach might, if Leach went to Nebraska, he might win there, but he wouldn't win the Nebraska way. Scott Frost not only is a Nebraska guy, but he does what Nebraska likes. 
And I think, I think they already have a contract basically written up for him. And I think Frost will be the next coach at Nebraska. Scott Frost runs, runs the sprint offense, which is a finesse offense. I know that he, he, but because he is a, or because he's a Nebraska guy, I think they're going to give him leeway. I think that I think that Nebraska has such a proud tradition that they want their guy in there. So if it's between a guy who runs a spread offense who's not a Nebraska alum, a guy who runs a more prototypical offense that is not a Nebraska alum, or a guy who runs a spread offense who is a Nebraska alum, I think they will side with a Nebraska alum all day long. And that's why I think Scott Frost is going to get the job there. And because I think it's a distraction, I think and the Naval Academy is good, and they're going to. You have to have tremendous discipline preparing for them. Yes, and, and I think there's going to be too many distractions, and I think Navy is going to win this game. I think that's a solid pick. Um, regarding Nebraska, they remind me of Michigan, a very proud program. Michigan wants their coach to be a certain type of guy, honorable, classy. Makes the kids go to class, graduates, clean program. That's why they hated Rich Rodriguez. Because he also has to run a pro-style offense. That's requirement in Michigan. They should never – like, don't even bother hiring, hiring anybody unless they put the quarterback under center and use a fullback. Nebraska, I think all their fans know you're not going to want to run the power-eye option in college football these days. But I don't – I th- Nebraska was so physical and violent for all those years under Osborne and Solich and never should have Devaney, uh, before then. I think it's Jim Devaney was Nebraska coach before Osborne. Just the style of football where it's just grinding, grinding you into dust. And I've just – I know that Scott Frost was a quarterback on those teams, and he's a legend because he won a national championship. But I am wonder if he the first time he lines up and he goes like quad receivers to one side and they've got running the spread option and it's just finesse stuff up front, if, if people are going to be like, I wish we were more physical because we're Nebraska. They hate it. Bill Callahan, because it was finesse football. Bo Pelini was insane, and they couldn't defend the run. And Mike Riley, that's just – it's patty cake football as well. They want violence. They want physical football. It's the Midwest. It's Nebraska. What do you think of Les Miles going to Nebraska? I could see that, but they got to give him like an eight-year contract because he's got to get his guys in. And – I mean, I could see that. I could see that. I, I think that would be – I think they want someone young, though. I do, too. And and that's another reason why I think they're going to go Scott Frost. I think they want someone young, and I think they want uh, a Nebraska alum. So I think that is going to do it for our podcast nope. today. Oh, no, nope, we've got one more thing. Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen. I'm going to sit back and enjoy what is left of my Thor's Equinox – and let you just go to town. So this doesn't make me angry because I hate UCLA and therefore watching them fail. Really, it just kind of makes me happy. Um, 
before the season started, Josh Rosen said, I can either be a great football player or a great student. Naturally, uh, that's a slap in the face to every single person that's ever made uh, an academic All-American team and also been good at football. That told me one thing. He's lazy. Furthermore, he is an interception machine this year. And you may ask yourself, why? Why, Pat? Because it seems like most of his interceptions are to linebackers on underneath coverage. Now, why must that be? Either he's being coached horribly to only read the safeties, which is amateur football, like you're playing Madden or something, and you go, oh, there's two safeties up high. I'm probably getting man or I'm getting cover two, something like that. Or there's one single safety, cover three or cover one. You know, it may work in a video game, but it doesn't work in the in college football. So he's thrown, I don't know, it seems like every week he throws three interceptions, two of them to linebackers. And yet I still keep hearing people talk about him like he's going to be a high draft pick. He is probably going to be a high draft pick. Because he looks like a pro quarterback. Yes. He's got the delivery. He's mobile. He's got a great arm. He can make some incredible throws. He's got the size. But he doesn't put the work in or else he wouldn't make those interceptions. You look at quarterbacks that um, – good quarterbacks in the NFL, and you, you find me interceptions that look like the picks he throws where he tries to throw deep in routes and linebacker picks it off. It just it catches linebacker in stride. Aaron Rodgers doesn't do it. Tom Brady doesn't do it. Russell Wilson, I mean, he never throws over the middle anyway because he can't see. But you don't see it. You don't see it. And this is a this is a red flag for me. He does not read underneath coverage. And I think that he's going to have a rude awakening either in the NFL or on draft day because I think Cleveland would just go, I don't care, and draft him. Oh, yeah, Cleveland or the Jets or there's a couple of other teams. That, that I'm sure are going to need a quarterback. You can have Buffalo is going to need a quarterback. mechanics. You can be a great athlete and a big quarterback, but if you do not have the brain or the desire, you're not going to do anything. It's the NFL. Speaking of Cleveland quarterbacks, I'm going to end on this. Draft day. I was tweeting about, not the movie draft day with Cleveland. Thank God. But the actual draft day with the Browns. When they had the number 12 pick, I said, they have got to draft Deshaun Watson. And when they traded with Houston and Houston took Deshaun Watson, I knew Cleveland was going to regret that. I had a feeling that Deshaun Watson, and I know it's only six games into his career. And yes, he's been very impressive, but he is a rookie. He's, But I, I think... Deshaun Watson is the real deal. And I tweeted about it in April that the the Houston Texans got the had an A plus draft just because they got Deshaun Watson. I think that was their missing piece. And I think they're going to be reaping the benefits for many years to come because of that. And the Browns once again failed to get a quarterback. And you know why Deshaun Watson is good? Because he understands the game of football. And, and he, he works studies, at it. And he works at it. And when you're Bill O'Brien's system, is a bitch to learn. It's really difficult to learn, and he's hormonal, and he'll bench you in a blink of an eye. Um, 
a rookie to come in and master. He hasn't mastered the offense, but to get to the point where he can win games in the NFL and not be hindrance to his team, he's really impressive and he's better than I thought he would. I, and I always knew he'd be able to process all of it, but I didn't know if he'd be able to make the throws. And he's been great in Cleveland. If you're going to start a rookie, you can't bench the rookie. It's rudimentary football. And by the way, Hugh Jackson, you're one of the greatest sinners of that rant of mine with all your little stacked formations. That's why the I'm, Bengals I'm would always him. start out hot when he was there. And you put him in a good defense late in the year. You put him against a good defense in the playoffs. What does he put up against you? 17 points. Anyway, uh, Deshaun Kaiser's ruined. I never thought he was... He had the mental capacity to be an NFL quarterback in the first place. But, yeah, he is toast. He's, he was a sit-for-a-year guy. Yep. Sit-for-a-year. Why would you start him? Because you were, because he was the most talented quarterback on the roster, and you're coaching for your job. You don't. If you're coaching for your job, you don't start a rookie. Well, who mean, else would you have started? Brock Osweiler? Yes. You know you're winning six games. You're losing ten. You're losing ten. You know that. But if the if if Cleveland would have gone six and ten this year, they he would have saved he would have saved the year. Yeah, he panicked, and that's because that's a decent defense. They have a decent offensive line. They got a really talented offensive line. Like but it's just not there. I, I agree with you completely. I think Hugh Jackson put himself in a corner, and I think it's going to cost him his job. That front offense is a joke. Well, they hired a baseball you guy. You get all of those picks and you don't do anything with it. No, we're going to use them for next year. We're just going to get more next year. Yeah, it's the Kansas City Royals strategy for a decade and a half. Uh, let's draft some guys or let's just trade our guys for more picks than develop guys and trade them for more picks. And so your fans know it's go, oh, we got a good minor league system. It's Bill Bavese-ish. All right, on Bill Bavese, <laughs> we're, we're done. I'm, I'm cutting it off at Bill Bavese. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you guys next week. Uh, Have a good weekend, and go Cougs!